Hey, this is Steve Balton. You are here on my turning point for a really special, incredible episode with the great Lenny Kravitz. Went deep with Lenny about his new memoir, Let Love Rule, about family, about the music that shaped his childhood, about so much more. This is an incredible interview. Hope you appreciate it as much as I did. Look, everybody has a million six hundred and twenty-seven thousand different turning points that get right. them to where they are in life. But I also love the idea of tying one in with a book because you know I'm sure you've thought about a lot of moments that you mm-hmm. hadn't thought about for a very, very, very long time. I think the main turning point would have been choosing to leave the house uh, after that altercation with my father, uh, where he wouldn't allow me to go to the Buddy Rich concert. And it was either you live in this house under my rules, which I respect and I was raised to respect that, or you leave. And I left at 15 or whatever it was. And um, that was that was a huge turning point because by putting myself in the streets, that, I mean... I learned every I learned everything I needed to learn at that time. That was my education. So funny that you say that. There was this thing that went around many years ago before there was the whole thing about viral and memes and all this shit. There was a great piece that went around called Everything I Needed to Learn I Learned in Kindergarten. I don't know if you remember this. This was years ago. I love the your version. Everything I needed to learn I learned in the streets. <laughs> It, it was, man. I mean, obviously, I had learned so much growing up, taking in all of this, you know, life experience and culture growing up in New York City in the 70s with my parents at such a vibrant time in the culture and in the world. And yeah, all of its education. But putting my ass out there, not knowing where I was going to eat, sleep, you know, the people I met, the adventures, uh, that's where my my personal education began. Yeah. So it's interesting. What are one or two things that, and again, like I said, it's, it's you know, what's so fascinating about the concept of, of doing a book, and it's funny, I just interviewed Tom Morello about his last week, Pete, uh, Peter Frampton about his a couple weeks ago. It's like, oh, wow. you think about things that you haven't thought about in so long, because as an artist, you're always looking forward. So it's yes. only when you do, when you're doing like with a musician, when you're doing the greatest hits or mm. a retrospective tour or something like that, it's the only time you kind of go back and listen to your own music. So I'm sure right. for you... There were a lot of things that I hadn't really thought about in so long. And even as you started thinking about Jewel or hearing Carly Simon again or your friend Noah, I mean, were there things that when you started looking at these that really surprised you because you're like, I hadn't thought about them in so long or, or you appreciate them in such a different way because you're looking at them now with a whole life behind you? Well, it's interesting because when I was writing the book, I kept saying, I don't know, man. I mean, do I really have a story? Like... <laughs> You know, because we tend to look at our heroes romantically. You know, I've read the books on this, you know, Bowie and Miles and this one and Jimmy and Ray Charles, uh, Marvin, this, you know. And to me, they're so colorful. And a lot of them are filled with a lot of um, darkness, you know, and that makes for great storytelling that makes for great movies. Um, and I thought, here's this kid who grew up in New York city, half black, half Jewish, 
with all these folks and the stuff I did. I'm like, this isn't interesting. But I got to understand that I did have a story and that my life was super colorful. Uh, and uh, I also, what I didn't realize was how therapeutic writing this book was going to be. Um, there were certain issues that I still had. Maybe I'm jumping to another category, but there's certain issues that I still had regarding my father. Even though we had made peace before he died, I was still holding on to some stuff. And by virtue of writing the book and seeing my father as a character, as a man who was operating with what he had, what he was given, by his parents, by his upbringing, by him going to the military at such a young age and being, you know, brainwashed into being this, this other being that he had to become in order to do that and become a Green Beret and be this hardcore dude that he became. Um, I was able to completely see him without judgment and see him as a man who was just trying to find his way through this life everything let go. And I was able to actually love him purely, love him more, see him as this beautiful person that did the best he could with what he had. And it released all of this stuff for me, which I didn't know I was still holding on to. Because as I said, we made peace before he died. So I thought we made peace. That's it. We're good. But there was still stuff in there that I had to let go of. And by writing this book, man, it did it for me. Really interesting. I didn't see that coming. It's so interesting on so many levels. And that's what I love about writing is it's such a subconscious thing. And it brings up all these things that you hadn't thought about. But I want to go back for one second because something you just said cracked me up. Because I just okay. interviewed Alanis not long ago and she was talking about the fact that, you know, she and I have been friends for years and I love her. And she was talking about the fact that oh, she's you know, great. She's great. She's the, she's the best. But it was, she was talking about the fact she's like, people have been trying to get her to tell her story. And she's just like, to me, my story is not interesting. You know, and it's like, you are like, it's seriously. So you grew up with this like, you know, famous mother in New York, all of this, you know, colorful stuff. And you mm. left those streets on the 15 and you're like, is my story interesting enough? <laughs> it's so funny how what it's because when you're living it, you like, just think you just think it's just me. It's just, you know, it's weird. It's a really interesting thing, though, going back to the therapeutic part for a second, where it's it's like. You know, this is something that's come up a lot of late in interviews that I've been doing. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a very interesting thing that comes up, right? When you're a kid, you love your your parents and your upbringing and everything, right? Then you get older and you want, can't wait to get the fuck away from it. You just want to <laughs> find your own identity. And you're like, and it doesn't matter if you're the best parents in the world. You're like, get me out. And then as you get older, you start to appreciate it again. And it's interesting in terms of the therapeutic and in terms of, you know, the new relationship with your father, understanding that, is that something that you think could have happened before this? Or does it also have a lot to do with the age you are? No, appreciate? no, no. That, and that's what's cool. I, I was having this conversation with my daughter two days ago. I was telling her about this and, because uh, we were just talking about therapy and, you know, facing different problems we have in life and how we work them out. And I was saying, well, by the way, in writing this book, I did X, Y, and Z concerning my dad. And she thought it was so wonderful and interesting, but it, it wouldn't have happened any other way. No. And when it happened, 
when I realized it in the, in the last days of, of, of writing and editing it, it, uh, I was so grateful. I was so grateful that, okay, if the book does nothing else, it, it gave me that gift and, 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 it, and it enabled me to release things in my spirit and soften my heart and look at him without any judgment whatsoever. I was like, if that's all the book does, what a gift that is. It's so interesting. I mean, was there a moment for you that you started as you were writing this or that you got into the book? where it's like you started to realize that you were having these new feelings about your dad and this sort of revelation and, you know, where you realized that your perception of him just changed. It took a, it took a while. I didn't realize it at first. I was just stating the facts. I was going, I was going through the history. I was going through the situations. Uh, but like I, I think, like, as I said, when I was editing at, at, at the end, I was really fine tuning things and, and, and looking at it because he wasn't my father at that point. I'm, 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 uh, I'm looking at him as a character because I'm trying to get through this book, and uh, and uh, it just sort of hit me, and uh, yeah, it just it just sort of just happened one day, and I thought, oh my god, I like this guy, like despite whatever and of course i love him but when you know my mother used to say a very interesting thing she said of course i love you i'm your mother it's, I, I love you i have to love you but i like but i like you and that meant even more you know what i mean it was like what she was saying was if you weren't my kid you know i like you and uh that's what i felt about my dad it was like this character's this character's all right and I would not have become who I needed to become without this character. I was given exactly what I needed to become what I would become. And that's all good. The, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know? Yeah. It's such an interesting and thing. And I guess that comes, that, that comes with acceptance. Just accepting. We all get something, man. Ain't none of us getting through this without <laughs> dealing with something, you know? <laughs> How old were you when your father passed? Oh God, he he passed about I guess about fifteen years ago. So I'm you know I'm I'm well into my adulthood and 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 but uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> no, it's just so interesting because it's a really fascinating thing too. It's funny. My mom, uh, it's not funny, but my mom passed a couple of years ago and going through her stuff, you find all these things. And I found mm -hmm. these old photos and I found like this stuff. And it's like, what was interesting is that I found, you know, letters and, and photos with like names on them and stuff. And you're like, who the fuck are these people? And I didn't realize until that point, you don't think of your parents as people. You, you don't think of them as having a life exactly. until they actually, you know, like before they had you. So it's a really interesting thing that you refer to your father as a character because it's like at that point you probably had never thought about him as anything. No, but I your only father. Him as my father and how his behavior in any direction, whatever it might be, would affect me. That's what that's what I you know, that's how I thought. And it's like, okay, let me take steps back and let me look at this cat as a character. And it only would have happened if I wrote this book. 
because he was a character at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. He's a character. He's Cy Kravitz. He's that guy. And um, I found him to be interesting, interestingly complex. Uh, and like I said, I was like, this guy's all right. You know? It's so funny as, as you went through this and you learned about your dad and you learned about your mom and, and you know, all these people in your past and you learned about your grandparents and stuff. I mean, are there things that you now see of them in you that you hadn't thought about until doing this book? Mm, I think I've always seen that, you know, I've always been cognizant of, wow, that was really something my mom would do or say, or my dad, or, you know, my grandfather, you know, cause my grandfather, as you see in the book really was my father figure you know he picked up where my dad couldn't uh perform and uh so i have a lot of i have a lot of all of them in me but no i i've, I've always seen that yeah are there things though that that come from them that you again when you can take a step back and look at them that you have a different appreciation for after having a better understanding of who they are all as people Mm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I have a deeper, I have a deeper impression, uh, uh, appreciation for all of them, especially the hard work. Because when you're, when I was a kid, I didn't realize how hard these folks were working. My grandfather working four jobs, not sleeping much, coming home just to take a shower and eat something and go right back out to the next job, pull a 24 hour shift, you know, with, and, you know, I didn't understand that when my grandmother, you know, was taking me to these houses with her on the weekends you know we get on the bus we go we go to this house i'm sorry yeah oh okay one sec i'm just on an interview but i'll catch you right after um uh i didn't realize that we were going to other people's houses for her to clean i just thought we were going to i, I didn't get it like She'd take me there. She would get in these houses. She'd sit me at the like at the at the kitchen table, make me something to eat, put me in front of the television, or give me a book to read. And then she'd go around the house doing. I think in my head, I thought this was another house of hers. I didn't understand it that my grandmother was a domestic, and that was you know, that was the way she made her bread. Um. So I, you know, I look back at this stuff and, and I, I just, I really admire the dedication to family, to making things possible, especially in a time where these, where these black folks, you know, had it like they had it. Um, I mean, my mom scrubbed floors while she was at Howard University to help her, you know, get through. Everybody was working. Everybody was contributing. Everybody was working hard, including my father, you know, um, being a white, you know, Russian Jewish man in New York City, everybody really took care of their responsibilities, and I and 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 regardless of what happened or what happened with my dad or between my dad and my mom, everybody did what they had to do to keep the family moving. And a lot of families didn't, you know, growing up in like I say in Bed Stuy, when you read about a lot of my friends and their, you know, they they didn't their parents weren't there, their dad was 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 not was not there. He was absent, you know, and uh, and my grandfather became the, the, the father figure to so many boys and girls in the neighborhood. So I, I'm really grateful for that. 
Well, it's so interesting. I mean, for you, I guess going back, I'm so curious because it's funny because you say you weren't sure that you had a story. So the obvious sort of question is, at what point did you get convinced that, all right, my story is interesting enough to tell? Or at what point? Well, it's funny. When you started out writing, did you know that you, and it's so funny, I'm actually sitting here making the uh, you know, motion for writing. But <laughs> when you started, did you know that like you wanted to do a book or was it something that just no, kind of started? No, I, I would have never written this book, bro. I was introduced to David Ritz at a Japanese restaurant in New York City. Um, at, what was it? Blue Ribbon uh, Sushi down in the... Anyway, through a mutual friend. And uh, he said, hey, man, I've always wanted to meet you. Uh, you need to write a book. You should write a book. And I, of course, knew his books. And I was like, write a book <laughs> not yet and i don't even know if i want to write a book anyway during this dinner he convinced me that i should do this and i kept saying i don't know man i don't, I don't think i have a story i don't there's not much here i don't i don't know and he said i'm telling you there's a story and he convinced me and he began guiding me uh, that took a minute for me to find my voice, how I was going to write. Because I just started writing and writing and I didn't like it. Try again, didn't like it. He'd help me with some stuff. I didn't like it. Just because the voice didn't feel like it was the voice inside of me. And finally one day, I don't know, I was, I was, actually I was sitting here in the Bahamas, right here in this house. And I sat down at the desk and I wrote the first chapter. It just came out. And I sent it to him and I said, this feels like my voice. And he read it and he said, okay, you're there. I dig this. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Right. So I had to keep going and, um, it just came out, but I, I got to tell you through writing the book, I don't think I realized I had a story until I was reading the audio book just recently. I had, I decided to do the audio book. You know, they're like, are you going to do it or is somebody else going to read it? I figured I'm here. It's my book. I should read it. Right. Um, pain in the ass. Right. Got to read this thing. Got to enunciate. Got to be clear. Got to, you know, give it the feeling, but not overdo it. You know, and I was reading the book. And that's when I realized maybe there's something here. By hearing the words come out of my mouth. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Do you, I mean, it's funny because obviously you're a musician, you know, do you feel like it comes from that whole thing of like just hearing things that like things become more real to you when they're allowed? Maybe so, you know, hearing it in the headphones, come out of my mouth, reading this stuff, convinced me that, okay, this was all right. Because I still wasn't sure. What am I releasing? What is this? And I thought, it's okay. It's my life. I think more than just accepting it as like, okay, I did something that was all right. Cause that wasn't really about what it was about. It was about, I accepted that period of my life from being born or being, you know, four or five years old when the book opens with the dream to releasing this first record. I digested my life, my experiences, the, the, the wonderful feelings, the heartache, whatever it may have been, the adventure, 
and I accepted it. Hi, Jojo. That's off. How old are they? He's he's almost four, and the other one's twelve. Okay. Yeah, Lo- local street dogs right here from from the Bahamas, man. We 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 don't have dog stories here. You find your dogs in the street. Oh, mine's a senior rescue. Oh, great. Yeah. No, only fuck with rescues. You yeah, know, exactly. And, and, yeah. yeah. So it's so interesting, but it's funny because actually I remember doing this interview at Flea's house where his rescues were running through the yard. And Flea's house? Flea. Oh, Flea, yeah. Yeah, and it was so funny because we're doing this interview and his rescues are running through the yard and we were recording the podcast and we're like, eh, if, he, if the dogs rip the equipment out, who cares? The dogs come first, you know? Right. But, but this is so funny because... Did you read Flea's memoir that came out last year? No, I haven't read it yet. I can't okay, wait to read it. But it's really fascinating because he wraps his up right when the first Chili Peppers record comes out. Oh, really? Interesting. And it's so funny. Why specifically I thought of you is because mm. it's so funny at the time he and I talked and I was like, well, is there another book coming? He's like, if you would have asked me a month ago, I would say for sure. He's like, now that it's out, he's like, I really don't know. Because dude, writing a book is a whole different sort of labor. It is such oh, yeah. a difficult labor so do you know for certain i mean you wrote to be continued but do you know for certain that you want to do the next volume i think mine might be opposite i thought while doing this yeah there'll be a book the the well i thought actually excuse me i thought while writing this book there definitely won't be another one because i don't even want to go into that (laughs) you know I don't even want to go into that portion. As I said in the in the book, you know, this this next part is where it gets tricky. And now that I've done it, I'm thinking, okay, let me li- let me just live a couple more, let me live a few more years of life here because I got I got more to do and develop and some more life to live before I even think about that book. But I'm pretty sure that I will do so now because it'll it will be the same therapy that I'll need <laughs> uh, at that time. I will need that therapy to, to understand uh, my life and my actions and all that happened uh, from that point forward. Now <laughs> I understand what it gives you back. The writing process. Forget the releasing and if people buy it or like it or any. No, the act of doing it is what gives you the reward, just like the music or any art. For me, the success is in the process. You know, oh, no, people absolutely. like it sells, you get a hit song, wonderful. But it's already successful by just doing it. Now, I'm so curious. And, and again, this is like there's a billion different things to ask you about. So we're going to run low on time. But uh, one I have to ask, were there other memoirs that you looked at or, or other books that you looked at as sort of inspiration as you were doing yours? No, I didn't read any other memoirs at that time. What I did read a bit before I found that first chapter, I read The Catcher in the Rye because when I was a kid, that was one of my favorite books. And I read it and somehow, because I love the way Holden speaks, thinks, tells his story I don't know something triggered something in me and that's when I ended up writing that first chapter 
soon thereafter. So, so that had some release for me. And you know what's so fascinating about that? Dude, that, that blows my mind because it's funny. You were saying that, you know, as, the, as this one wraps up and you're talking about thinking about the perils of fame and all that, what was it like to go back and read that book as an adult, knowing that, I mean, few people had a harder time or struggled with fame more than J.D. Salinger? Did you feel a totally different empathy for him as a writer? Because I, I'm, I'm always fascinated with the... Fame sucks. It's one of the worst things that can happen to a person. It's fucking awful, dude. And you're smiling because it's like everybody thinks it's so glamorous. I mean, as someone who interviews everyone in the world on a daily basis, it's, a, it's an awful curse. It really is. And then you think about J.D. Salinger and, you know, writing a book that defines, you look at what happened to Dylan or Kurt Cobain as the voices of a generation. Right. And J.D. Salinger, like Jared Kerouac, who became a prick, you know, who became a conservative prick, you know, after writing these books of honor, you know. So it's fascinating. Did you have a different perspective of reading, you know, Catcher in the Rye? I didn't think so much about him and his situation at that time. I was thinking about the character in the book. But interesting that you say that because, uh, yeah, I mean, this guy just like hid, man. He was like, no, (laughs) I'm not having this. Um, And, you know, as I said at the end of the book, uh, the, the, the part you just quoted, I mean, that's where my life, forget my dad and the thing and all that and the, all of the deep uh, emotional and psychological and spiritual things that happened to me as a kid. And, uh, it's the next chapter that gets messy, man. It gets real messy. And what is the thing that is, uh, that, 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 that pulls that all together? It, it was the fact that fame entered the picture and not so much what fame did to me. I was happy to remain being who I was. It was the reaction from all the other people, whether they be people that I knew, that I grew up with, that were close to me, or, or new people, that element changed so many people's dynamic toward me and, and fucked me up because I am a very open person and I wanted to continue. The problem was I wanted to continue being who I was. I wanted to continue living as I was. I wanted to continue being as open as I was and not having to learn to put this uh, force field around me that would protect me from certain things. It took me a while to learn because I did not accept that behavior when it first started. I didn't accept it. And I continued being the person that I was and I realized, wow, I can't. I, I'll, it, it'll kill me. I won't be able to handle it. And uh, so I had to, I eventually got to back to myself, but it, it, it was with a very, very, very small group of people that I could do it with. You know? That is so fascinating to me though, because obviously, I mean, look, I've talked to a million people who've dealt with this situation. You know, and it's a fascinating thing too. I mean, there are so many artists who basically, they only really, like, it's funny. You almost have a sort of stunted development in a sense of like, when you become famous, the, the people that you know when you become famous become your circle of friends. So however old you are, it stops because the people mm. that come afterwards, you can't really trust, mm. you know? And I thought I had enough schooling for this 
because I watched my mother deal with fame and she, you know, when she was on the Jeffersons and, and, you know, she was a grown woman. She's a grown woman. She knew who she was. All her values were set. And I did learn so much about how to deal with it. Not in the sense so much with people, but in, in, in retaining your character and who, you know, she stayed who she was. She stayed humble. She didn't let Hollywood, uh, take her to that place. Um, she stayed grateful. She, you know, we grew up, I didn't have a maid. We didn't have housekeepers and people and all this stuff and drivers and assistants. And we had none of that. My mom was scrubbing her own toilet on Saturday morning, you know? Um, so I did have that education. And then of course, when I married Lisa, you know, she was on, you know, they were both on the show of their generation. Yeah. You know, she was on the Cosby show and, you know, it, 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 it was a phenomenon. It was, you know, the people, you know, she was a beautiful, is a beautiful woman. And, uh, you know, folks were all over her. So I thought I had enough. I'd seen enough. I'd, I'd been next to these people, but there's nothing to prepare you uh, for all of the dynamics that are going to come at you. There's no school for that. You just got to, you just got to ride it out. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, for you, you know, now having gone through it, it's funny. Do you feel like, you know, and obviously you have a daughter who, you know, is in Hollywood and stuff. Do you mm -hmm. feel like that there is, I mean, it's funny. Have you felt like, how do I want to put this? A, a, a sort of want to give back and to, to caution people and to, but with the understanding that, I mean, people aren't going to freaking listen again. It's like you even look at something that happened to like Juice World, and it's like there's 50 years of cautionary tales. Right. But until people fucking, and I mean, unfortunately, some people come out the other side and some people just don't. Yeah. I mean, with my kid, it was just, you know, she learned so much just from being around all this and watching me and my behavior. Um, and she's a smart one. She's a really smart one. She's, she's, ha I mean, first of all, she's coming from two parents that, did things and you know how that can be with the, the, the kids of, you know, yeah. that can be a, that can be a very difficult road. Um, and she has found her lane and she's cooler than the both of us together. Um, and smarter and hipper. And, you know, I, 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 I applaud her. Uh, she's done really well. I, I'm, I'm very pleased. And, and again, like I said, she grew up in her mom's house. She grew up in my house. She lived with the both of us for a pretty equal amount of time, you know, 10 years each. And, uh, she, she figured it out. She figured it out quietly from the corner, just watching. She figured it all out, you know? You know, see, that's awesome. As a parent, is there anything cooler that you could ever say Nothing. Then my daughter is cooler than both of us put together. Nothing. And I, and I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, you know, I, I raised her to kick my ass. <laughs> I raised her to go farther, go deeper, be better. Um, and, uh, we both did. And, uh, it's wonderful. And, and it's great to be having grown up conversations with my child 
about life. We go deep. There's nothing that we don't talk about. And I learned a tremendous amount from her. See, we're going to wrap up on music and the soundtrack to the book in a second. Got but, I, you cool. know, see, I love that. I feel like now it's funny because, you know, in the first one, right, you got through all the darkness, uh, you know, getting kicked out of the house, leaving home at 15, all mm. that to, to, and you say it led you to where you were. So now the second one, we're talking about all the trials and tribulations of fame and that fact that it sucks. But yet we're having this conversation about the fact that, you know, you, your daughter is the coolest thing in the world. So it's right. funny, you've kind of, without writing the second, you've almost, you now know what the lesson of the second <laughs> one is. All the shit that you went through, you know, makes it worth it. Yeah, because she had to not only witness the, one, the wonderful things that I may have done, but she had to also witness things that I've done that weren't so great. But again, that was part of her education, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, here so, we are, and here we are. So take me through a few of the, the key musical moments in this. And it's funny because I love, you know, that's another thing that comes up is like, right, you're writing about, I mean, okay, so, you know, the part was excerpted in Rolling Stone about the weed and Led Zeppelin and it's like, right. and these things that would be expected, but maybe people don't expect you to fucking talk about listening 20 times in a row to Carly Simon, nobody does it better. So what were these songs that, you know, and I love Carly Simon, by the way, that was a career highlight getting to interview Carly Simon. So oh, wow. for you, what were some of those like five or six songs that, that maybe were unexpected moments that came back to me that you're like, I haven't thought about this song in forever, or that you then think about how they've then played an influence in your own musical history? Well, that's the thing. All of this gave me uh, energy. I mean, from Duke Ellington, I mean, the A-Train. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, that song, I don't know, it, tur it just turned me on. It got me. Something about that, the big band, the excitement, the fact that I'd gone to see him as a kid and, and sat on his lap while he played, you know? I didn't know he was, quote unquote, Duke Ellington. I just knew he was this guy in a white suit with his hair greased back, you know, with the salt and pepper hair and the, the little goatee. You know, and my parents took me to see him and okay, he's this guy. But it was always so exciting for me to go see the big bands. Uh, we used to go see Count Basie. We used to go see Sarah Vaughn, you know, with a band behind her, et cetera, et cetera. I love big band music. Um, then from there, you know, uh, you know, talking about the Jackson 5 in Motown, that, of course, was so important to me because... I identified with the brothers. They were young. They looked like me. They, their hair looked like mine, you know? Uh, and the music was so incredible. You know, they called it bubblegum. A lot of people called that bubblegum music at that time. It was, it was anything but, as I say. You know, it was the, these were the best musicians, writers, and arrangers, and producers in Detroit, man, making this music for these kids. And... Uh, it was incredible. Um, you know, that moment you talk about Carly Simon, you know, I'm in L.A., it's the 70s, you know, this is on the radio, nobody does it better from that James Bond film that was so big and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping up and down the bed with my, with my best buddy and he was, for some reason, he was, had a thing about the strings at the end, the orchestration. <laughs> and he was like, listen to this, man. I mean, how, how, how amazing is this part and how beautiful is it? And it 
picks the song up and it and, and I was like, yeah, you know, and you know, listening to Kiss when kids at my junior high, you know, I'm in, I'm in Santa Monica. It's the '70s. It's Dogtown and Z Boys. I was I was there for all of that, and it's all about Zeppelin and and whatnot. It's really especially Zeppelin more than anybody. Yeah, there was Cream, there was the Who, there was this, there was that. Of course, there was Jimi Hendrix, which everybody knew was the God, right? Mm-hmm. But I also liked Kiss. You know, I had no problem with it, and. The majority, 99% of the kids, the guys, the skaters, the surfers, they were like, nah, man, nah, that ain't happening. But I dug it. And uh, I liked the whole thing. The, 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 the tongue-in-cheek songs, the, the presentation, the, the, you know, the, the whole thing. It was just, like, it was just another thing. Um, and, uh, and then on the same token, listening to Steely Dan. You know, listening to Asia and appreciating that, that whole jazz fusion thing, listening to Mahavishnu Orchestra or listening to, you know, uh, Larry, the, you know, Larry Carlton and Lee Rittenauer and all these guitarists and, and uh, Jeff Lorber Fusion, uh, which was the group that Kenny G was playing sax in before he was <laughs> Kenny G. Um, my musical tastes were all over the place classical music you know uh Mahler and Brahms and Beethoven and 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 Mozart and Schubert and uh you know all these cats that I was not only singing but you know not only listening to but singing their music so my my soundtrack is is psycho I mean it's it's all over the place but isn't that the case for every musician? I mean, I think that's one of the I, I cool would, things. I that, would think, you know, that's I one of the think. cool things that's manifested. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say that's manifested in the festival era. Is you know now you don't have this like musical segregation anymore, where it's just right. like the record stores where it's you know most musicians listen to most everything. Although it's amazing how many musicians say I listen to everything but country. <laughs> well, you know, I actually liked country as well. Growing up with Bahamian uh, family. Uh, Bahamians at that time loved country music. And this was like what I, you know, I always say the real country music. I'm not trying to take anything away from it now, but, you know. I know exactly the real what you mean. Stuff. The, Hank, the, real the Hank stuff. Williams, the Patsy Crowley, yeah, the man. Willie yeah, Nelson, man. the Johnny yeah. Cash, the Whalen. And, yeah. and that music is fantastic. I mean, it's full of soul and gospel and all the things. I mean, everybody, you know, all this stuff came from the, the same places and just uh, that was their storytelling. But that music I, I love. I, I think Duke Ellington said it, you know, there's only two kinds of music, good and bad. Now, of course, that's <laughs> what is good and bad. That's up to whoever's saying what's good and bad. Right. But but there, in any style, I can find stuff that that I love and that will teach me something and inspire me because it's true, you know? Well, now it's interesting. We'll, we'll wrap up on this, but it's, you know, the book ends with you, this first you know, we'll call this the first chapter then, or the first volume, you know, mm. ends with you making your stand with Virgin and, you know, basically right. saying that if you want to put this out, you're putting it out in my way and at least listen to it and stuff. It's so, I mean, I love that art for you. When you think about it, are there one or two artists that are sort of the role model for that? No compromise, that, that ability to just, I mean, or people that you even still to this day look up to for that, like, you know what, 
just following your own vision, your own voice. Absolutely. There's so many from, you know, Miles Davis, who was the ultimate fuck you, man. I'm going <laughs> to do it my way. I'm going to do how I do it. I'm going to change the course of music four or five times. And I'm going to turn around and play with my back to you, you know, <laughs> um, you know, Jimi Hendrix, of course. I mean, Prince at the time for me was such a great example because, you know, during high school, you know, like the Jackson Five were when I was a kid, you know, I was that age and I could identify with them. I could identify with this guy, you know, Prince, you know, he, he looked like I wanted to look and, and, and ended up sort of, you know, emulating for a while, you know, when I was in high school and, uh, his music had nothing to do with, with, with uh, formats and sticking to a box. He was completely creating his own, his own path. Um, uh, so those were, you know, those were examples. I mean, there was, there's so many. I could, I right. could name so many. But during that time of my development, um, Prince was probably the main guy. Prince and Bowie. Cool. Yeah, there's one other thing I want to, this is not for this, this is just, I'm so curious about this just as a fan, but it's funny because I do another podcast called People Have the Power where people pick their favorite protest songs. And you're one of the few artists I've gotten to speak to who's been picked by other people because Natalie Maines from The Chicks picked Mr. Cab Driver as one of her favorite oh, wow. protest That's... songs of all time. So two of yours, just just as a fan, I'm just curious. Wow. Uh, wow. I, okay. Two of them, which I can... Uh... One would be James Brown, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, man. And another one of my favorite protest songs. Uh, well, that was more about empowerment, but it's still within the same sort of, you know, uh, thing. No, I love that you picked that one because the only other person who's mentioned that one is Cindy Santana. When I was interviewing Carlos and ah. Cindy together, and she talked about the fact that it's, it's a difference. There's, there's protest songs that are songs of healing, and then there are songs that fire you up. You know, yeah. there's like, there's redemption song, which is that peaceful healing. Yeah. And then there's, you know, I'm black and I'm, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, which is just like, yeah. get out and fight in the fucking streets. I mean, what, I can't, I can't not say what's going on by Marvin Gaye, man. Telling the story. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are three songs that have come up the most. It's uh, Fight the Power. Right. Ohio. Right. And of course, what's Ooh, going on. But, Ohio, but like, yeah, man. But like I said, I just was curious to get yours because there, you know, so many art, people pick artists that are, are not living or not, you know, so it's cool that actually Natalie Maines picked one of yours. So I was curious oh, to get your cool. feedback. Yeah. Cool. What do you want to add we didn't talk about? Because we covered well, a shit ton you, of stuff. You got it, bro. It's a pleasure talking to you. Where are you? I'm in Long Beach, California. Oh, you're in Long Beach. Cool. Yeah. Nice day here. Not the Bahamas, but you know, it's not too yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least you got some sunshine. Got some stuff, and actually, the, thankfully, the, a little bit of a breeze. So, yeah. How's the air out there now? Did it clear? It's a little better. There was a week or so where basically you couldn't even go outside. Okay. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, you would look at the the like the air quality index, and it would just be like I literally I would walk outside because you know you got to walk your dog no matter what, right? Right. You walk outside for and the first three seconds you're like, fuck, my head hurts. Damn, my throat is scratchy. You know. Right. And it would be right. like you know, but it's gotten much 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 better. So it's good, cool. and I mean. Unfortunately, we're supposed to have a lot of heat again this week. So hopefully, I mean, dude, those, those firefighters, I mean, you want to talk about actual heroes, people who yeah, do shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know. 
it's crazy what they're dealing with. So, you yeah. know, hopefully it's not too bad. But yeah, dude, it's a pleasure and I look forward. I that was a pleasure. It's a pleasure, pleasure talking to you and a pleasure, pleasure meeting you, bro. Yep. I know we've talked before, but it's been a minute. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We did one at a gallery where I don't remember where it was. We did one at a gallery show that you did in Los, in Los Angeles. At a gallery? Yeah. How many years ago? Dude, I, I barely it, remember. It, wait, I mean, wait, was it was it for my photo exhibition? Yes, and it was for Rolling Stone at the time. The Leica Gallery on uh, was it Santa over Monica? There not, over there, not far from the Beverly Center. Okay, so was it? The, yeah, I mean, it's it's so like I say, stuff just bleeds together all the time. Yeah, I'm trying to like. But yes, I remember that because I mean, we've spoken a few other times, but that was the only in person one. So yeah. now you know. But now yeah, I got the good. face of I got the face, the voice, and the whole thing. Yeah, I do good catching up. I'll let you go. Take care, man. Have, have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been here on My Turning Point with rock star Lenny Kravitz. Man, this interview was special. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think I was afraid of using my voice because I was afraid to accept that I had lung cancer. But if we want to have the best care, we need to talk, we need to ask, and we need to be assertive. Speaking up doesn't need to be daunting. Consider gathering additional information from credible patient organizations, preparing questions you want to ask your doctor, taking notes at your next appointment, and asking about biomarker testing. Steps like these can potentially lead to care that is more focused on your needs. We have to be assertive, even though it's hard when you are fighting for your life. Visit bit.ly slash soundup for lung cancer for links to resources and to learn more about SoundUp, a patient-inspired, community-led campaign supported by Novartis to empower people affected by lung cancer. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 